Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Well, Craig, I think we were both really looking forward to talking about this week's entry into our... Uh, Pantheon. Pantheon. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Our pantheon. It'll end up in the Library of Congress someday, I'm sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah. Burnt Offerings is is a 1976 film, and you know it's come across my radar here and there a lot. It is often cited on horror film lists as a movie to see or a movie that's super yeah. scary. Um. And as I've started watching this, I know I I was like I have not I I know I hadn't seen this before. And as I started watching it, uh, it got to a certain point in the movie where I said, wait a minute, this is extremely familiar. And I realized that I have seen this movie before. I saw this movie as a kid, really young, uh, as one of those, you know, when they used to do Saturday morning cartoons, usually Mm -hmm. after the Saturday morning cartoons would be like the Saturday afternoon shocker or some Saturday horror movie matinee where they would show, that's where I saw most of the Hammer horror movies, right? A lot of those Mm -hmm. Vincent Price movies, a lot of the Dracula movies with Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. I saw this movie. I was probably, I could have been eight, I could have been 10, I'm not sure. But it did leave an impression on me because of a certain aspect of it. And we'll talk about it eventually because it has to do with the ending. But unknowing to me, I have actually been searching for this movie (laughs) ever since I saw it. Like, not actively, but I've always thought, I've always remembered the, the ending to this movie and how clever I thought it was at the time. And I wonder what obscure movie that is that, you know, I saw when I was a kid. Maybe someday I'll run across it again. And now I finally run across it. Awesome. <laughs> what am I supposed to say to that? Good job. Yeah. It's it's I mean it was it was fun for me, but I I will say that as a kid, I think my the way that I saw this movie, as we say a lot, right? We say this a lot. When as a kid, the way that I saw this movie was a lot different than I think the way I'm seeing this movie now as an adult. Uh so sure. yeah, I'm going to have a different opinion about it, but there's a bit of nostalgia that this tweaked for me. Yeah, I I had seen it and I remembered having seen it i don't know (laughs) when exactly but it was when i was an adult that i had that i saw it and i remember liking it and i remembered liking it so much that uh just recently i read the book that it's based on oh and uh the the book is good too and and frankly this is one of the most faithful adaptations of a book i've ever seen Really? Yeah. It, it's it's incredibly faithful. I read online that the director of the movie was, uh, and the director is Dan Curtis. I don't really know much about him. He didn't do a whole lot. He was deeply involved in Dark Shadows, like from its inception up until, you know, it, the remake several years ago. Mm. But that's all I know about him. But yeah, I remembered liking it, and I read the book, and the book uh, was was good. Uh, I read that the director wasn't pleased with the ambiguous nature of the ending of the novel, and so he wanted to give the movie a less ambiguous ending. And I don't, frankly, really remember the ending of the novel being that ambiguous. It, it I guess my point is the the movie... Um, is is very faithful to the book, and and I appreciated that because they're both good. It's a good story. I like this movie, and one of the things that I like about it is that it is 
frightening, um, and it is suspenseful, but it's kind of low-key on the horror. Mm. Um, I mean, it's only rated PG, which surprised me yeah. only because there's one. There's only one scene that shows any kind of brutality or, or violence, and that's that's at the very, very end. And so I was kind of surprised it was PG, but then I thought about it, and it came out in 1976, which was probably before they had the PG-13 rating. Yes. I imagine that if they had had the PG-13 rating at the time, it probably would have got a PG-13, but whatever. It's a scary movie, but it doesn't rely on gore or violence or or, or any of those things that would warrants you know like an r rating and i'm down for that you know that's cool you know if if you can give me a movie that you could play on saturday afternoon on network television and it's still as effective and scary that's cool (laughs) it was it was great for me because i got to sit down and watch it with my wife which i almost never get to do during these weekly uh gatherings so uh she enjoyed it uh, as along with me and she was terrified as well as you know it, during some certain parts there's some really scary moments in this movie um, sure but i would say uh, i think maybe i'm gonna come in a little bit on the other side where i felt like this is a pretty standard haunted house movie in a way kind of kind of yeah. i mean there's no ghost flitting about in the shadows but uh, in its pacing, in a lot of the tropes that it, I would say, kind of digs back up, mm-hmm. I felt like it was a little slow. Now, I think it maybe depends on the mood you're in when you watch the movie. You know, mm-hmm. we've both had this experience where when you're in the mood to watch something slow, the terror really does kind of creep up on you, and uh, it, it's very effective. At other times, we've said, now we're used to more fast-paced films, and so sometimes yeah. this is just a product of the time, and that we don't, our brains don't really have the patience anymore for something that isn't moving along at a real quick clip. And this movie, I don't think, moves along at a very quick clip. And I would say, I feel like maybe even for its time, it's still a little slow. There's so much about this movie that's familiar, and it's not just because I watched it before. It's because you see a lot of the same stuff in a lot of stories. A lot of these haunted house stories have a lot of the same stuff. And I feel like the movie was playing it like it was supposed to be fresh and novel. I I mean, the movie's very well made, and it takes itself very seriously, and that's not a bad thing. But um, because it wasn't really so fresh and novel, a lot of the things, it's just very predictable for me. You know, I could see where it was going from almost the very beginning, and there are times in which you sort of feel like maybe the filmmakers think they were doling things out to you in a mysterious way, but I can see right through them. Yeah, gosh, that's funny. You and I pretty rarely disagree on things, but I'm going to disagree with you on this. Mm. And you know that I am an impatient person. I have said before, my horror movies, I like them an hour 20, an hour 30. Yeah. That's that's about perfect. And, and this movie is uh, about two hours, and I didn't find it slow at all i was engaged through the whole thing i mean it's it's definitely a slow burn you know it's not action-packed it's a slow burn but i was engaged throughout and yeah i mean it's kind of standard haunted house but not i actually found the concept to be um kind of unique and and maybe that 
comes from having read the book recently. I wonder. I don't about know, that. but yeah, I do kind of wonder about that. If you if you're getting things from the book that, but you said it's a very faithful adaptation, so maybe some of that just carries through. Or I don't know. I didn't find it. I wasn't bored. I I wasn't checking my watch. I mean, I was engaged and. Maybe part of that is because, I don't know, I really dig movies with small casts. Like, hmm. I, I love it when you're you're really focused in on, you know, a small group of people. Um, and that's what you get in this movie. I mean, what it is, you've got this family. You've got a young family, Marion and Ben. Marion is paid, played by Karen Black, who we just recently saw a movie that she was in, and I've sung her praises before. I don't think that she's an amazing actress, but in the right role, she does a really good job. And what I like about her in this movie is she's not great, but over the course of the movie, she gets crazier throughout <laughs> and and she plays crazy really well yeah it's like, <laughs> it's like she grows into the role over the course of the movie isn't it yeah <laughs> like it, yeah in the beginning she's kind of lost and you don't really know what to think of her uh-huh. she, well she has a husband named ben and then they have a son named david and they're driving up to a house for the first time again come on this is so standard right and I thought it was funny that they're driving up there and they're saying, is this our house? At first I thought, oh, they're buying it, but actually they're renting it. They're planning to rent it. Right, for the summer. And they're seeing for the summer, yeah, and they're seeing it for the first time. But it's so typical, right? Oh, they come around the corner and they're kind of amazed by this house that they were planning to rent even though they know nothing about it and haven't ever seen it before. But from the very beginning, she's very spacey. She's kind of staring around and looks like she has other things on her mind most of the time almost as though from the very beginning this house has caught her under its spell and i guess that's what i'm supposed to believe is that right yes it is okay and you know this is this is something that they cut from the book one of the few things and and i read that they actually filmed it but then the director decided it was too boring in in the book there's there's build up to it where she's very bored with her life like they live in this kind of you know it's a nice apartment in new york but they're it's not super nice and and she really appreciates the finer things and so she wants to get away for the summer and go live in some nice place and she sees an advertisement in a newspaper for this house and it it says you know it it, it would be a great for a big family um and it says very reasonable cost and so she looks into it and then they go and look at it which is kind of where the movie picks up but apparently there was 15 minutes of the movie that they cut out because the director thought that it was too boring and mm. and it probably was yeah. he was probably right so then they go to look at it but what the movie doesn't do as well as the book is to show that she really is super materialistic and like that's just part of her character mm. like it, it, it's not necessarily i don't know i mean that that's not a great thing to be super materialistic but it's not necessarily a character flaw that's just how she is mm -hmm. she wants the finer things and i i think that that's important yeah to understand because ultimately that 
kind of is her tragic flaw and and leads to her downfall um but yeah they go they go and see this great house and it's it's this big beautiful estate this big beautiful mansion but it's 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 run down they're surprised like when they get there the husband's like this can't be right he's he's like you know they must it must be a a guest house or a boat house or something that they're advertising because there's no way that this place could be that affordable but it turns out that it is but ultimately, spoiler alert, <laughs> because the owners have ulterior motives. And I think just before we go on to those ulterior motives, I think one thing that you pointed out was really important for me. I, I didn't get any of that at all, that she was materialistic. I felt like as the movie went on, she seemed to get a little more materialistic. But I felt like that was the house working on her and, you know, part of its spell. Yeah, no, in the in the book, it, it makes it clear. She's happy and she loves her husband and she loves her son, but she desperately longs for nicer things. Okay. Like she, she wants to, you know, live the high life, mm. um, and that's important. And it is. It's interesting, you know, having read the book fairly recently. It's it's interesting that to me in the movie that read, but it must have been because I have read the book. Well, there were probably some subtle clues and some little things she did here and there or whatnot, comments she made or stuff she bought or the way she handled things that maybe just kind of went over my head because, yeah, because they were so subtle. That's possible. And and you were picking up on it because, oh, yeah, that's her character, and I just didn't see it. Sure. I, I think for me, too, the other thing that those missing 15 minutes maybe would have given me is a little more sense of who she was before she came under the house's spell. You know, sure. So for me, from the very beginning, she seems kind of like a weird, spacey, out there lady. And I've said this before. I can't remember what other movie we were talking about. It was it was very similar where there's some force or something. I don't know. Maybe it was Amityville two or something where where you you need to see a big change. You know, at least you want something very dramatic where the people they come in normal and the house works on them and and you can see they're they're totally messed up and the reason isn't because they were messed up coming in the reason is that the house messed them up right right and so that wasn't as stark and as strong for me and so i think even from the beginning even my wife made a comment while we were watching this like who is this lady you know like uh she's yeah. a little weird and it was a little hard to get on her side from the beginning i, I thought i'm not that I, I don't mean like couldn't empathize with her but i just meant like it just wasn't a stark enough difference from beginning to end uh and it could have been starker yeah i get what you're saying i you know i don't know even in the just you know judging the movie on its own without comparison to the book i thought that karen black did a pretty good job because okay so they they show up to this house that's owned by the allardices and um it's a brother and sister and uh, it's Arnold, played by Burgess Meredith. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> He's great. <laughs> He's so good. He's only in the movie for like five minutes, but I don't know, maybe ten minutes. But he's so good. And it's hilarious because he gets top billing in the opening credits because, you know, he was a big star. Yeah. Batman and, you know, millions of things that he had done. And he's so funny in this movie. I, I feel like he was trying to play it a little bit effeminate and flamboyant. Yeah. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. Oh god, but he's so funny. And uh his sister Roz, who is played by Eileen Heckert, who has done tons of TV and movies. She was in First Wives 
club and just a bazillion other things. Um, but they're just kind of this these eccentric older people who are brother and sister – Marion and Ben, the husband and wife, and their son David come and, and see the house. And the Allardyces are looking for somebody to care for the house over the summer while they're going to go traveling. It's like an interview. The ad did say reasonable. Uh, very reasonable, as I recall. And so it is for the right people. It's not so much an interview, but they're kind of asking them about stuff. Yeah. In the book, it becomes very clear that Marion is the right person. They're interviewing her more than anything. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, and she is the right person. But they ask weird questions like, "Are you? is it just going to be you two? I thought there was a kid. And they're like, oh yeah, there is a kid. He's just outside playing. And they're excited about that. And... They and they say, oh, and we're also going to be bringing our aunt, Aunt Elizabeth, played by Betty Davis. Holy <laughs> shit. I love Betty Davis. And she's so good in this movie. And they're like, oh, that's good. Gosh, again, I, I'm going to keep saying in the book. I, I apologize for that. But um, in the book, they were they were looking for a larger family. They were looking for more people, which in the context of the whole thing makes sense. But nonetheless, they're satisfied. And, and I it, it's because they're mostly satisfied with her, Marion. Like, she's the right person. The husband expresses some concern, like, oh, just us in this great big house? And the woman's like, oh, don't worry about it. The house takes care of itself. Um, and then Roz looks at Marion and says, I just have to know, will you love the house as much as brother and I do? And, and they just go on and on about the house. Well, <laughs> do you like it? We love it. God, when it comes alive, tell them, brother. Tell them what it's like in the summer. Well, they'd never believe it. It's beyond anything that you have ever seen in your life. There's centuries in this room, Mrs. Roth. There are years, years in this house. Oh, yes. And this house will be here long, long after you have departed, you believe me? It's practically immortal. I sincerely believe that. So do I. And all of this stuff, it doesn't sound weird. I mean, it sounds a little bit weird, I guess, but it just sounds like they love their house or whatever. But ultimately, all of these things that they say are very telling Mm -hmm. when it comes to how things turn out well and i think it's it's not subtle enough really (laughs) to be honest i and and maybe it doesn't need to be you know but it's it's uh, i don't know i i felt like first of all i really liked how weird they were and i really liked the little touches and twists that burgess meredith put on his character to make him even weirder you know oh yeah yeah it was it's so good it was just delicious to see this and so you know something really sinister is going on but you quite honestly you have no idea what is or at least you wouldn't necessarily have any idea what it is except for the fact that all they're talking about is the house Mm -hmm. i don't know it was just it was just a little too on the nose for me and maybe i don't know maybe that's an unfair criticism 
Uh, we've got to have a lot of foreshadowing and whatnot. The, the two, he, um, you know, Ben and Marion even walk through and they see a wall and on the wall is where you'd, you know, you might have framed pictures of your family hanging up on sure. the wall. All there are are pictures of the house. It's mm-hmm. just the house through the years, and that's very striking, but it's also very on the nose. And and as if that weren't more on the nose, he even says, well, this is weird, isn't it? <laughs> to yeah, her, yeah, you yeah. Know? I don't know. And then you had the groundskeeper, the the weird, you know, crazy groundskeeper answered the sure. door at the beginning, and there's a little bit of to do with him. And then we never see him again. Um, it's just, I don't know, man. It was just a lot of, I've seen so much of this before. And that's, again, not necessarily a bad thing, but it just made the movie really predictable for me. I can see where you're coming from. And, you know, the whole thing, the whole production feels kind of like a made-for-TV movie. Yeah. A good one. A good one. But a made-for-TV movie. Yeah. And the, the husband, Ben, eventually says, all right, well, that's great, but what's the catch? And they say, oh, there's not any catch. Oh, well, there just is one little thing. And they say, our dear, dear mother, who is like the joy of our life, uh, is 85. And she never leaves the house. She never even leaves her room. You may be here all summer and you may not even see her. All you have to do is take a tray up three times a day um, and she'll be fine. And so, you know, obviously that's suspicious, <laughs> but, yeah. but Marion is so intense. You know, Ben is, is reluctant because it seems too good to be true. And it is <laughs> ultimately, yeah. but Marion so desperately wants it. And, uh, you know, we get a little bit of her kind of giving Ben the cold shoulder and being, oh, it's fine, whatever, you know, just do whatever you want, I don't care. And that was, there was more to that in the book, like, she desperately, desperately wants to be there. And and she says, you know, I'll take care of everything, I'll take care of the house, I'll take care of the old lady, it'll be fine. And though he's reluctant, he can tell how badly she wants to go, and and so they do. And so they they pack up their son David and they pack up Aunt Elizabeth, uh, Betty Davis, and they head out there. Now, Betty Davis, she's just fantastic as Mm. Aunt Elizabeth. She is. I, I mean, she's just so Betty Davis. Like, she's almost just kind of playing herself. Yeah. She's older, of course, but in the beginning, she's very vibrant and fun and funny. Are you comfortable back there? No. Just about everything in me is numb. <laughs> Except, of course, your mouth, Auntie. Benji. <laughs> oh, Benji, I forgot to tell you. I renewed my learner's permit. I am determined this time. Well, I must admit, I admire your persistence, Auntie. Well, my persistence is the reason I have flourished this long. <laughs> All you've got to do, Auntie, is learn to relax at the wheel. I always relax at the wheel. I get nervous inspectors. (laughs) As the movie progresses and the house uh, has its effect on all of them, um, she deteriorates. She starts looking older to the point where she's just almost entirely enfeebled. And she just plays it so well. I was just so impressed with 
her performance in this. And this was late in her career. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I know a little bit about Betty Davis, and I know that um, she really struggled to get roles later in her career because she was an older lady, and you know, she wasn't your stereotypical beauty. Um, so I know that she took a lot of movies just because she needed the work or wanted the work. And I don't know if this was the case, uh, in this movie, but she did such a good job. She, I, I was just totally endeared to her the whole time and I could go (laughs) on and on about her forever. But the, the, the point is they go into the house and, and the house is a little bit, uh, you know, run down, but basically what's going on. And again, you know, I, I hate to kind of spoil things, but... We're going to have to, and we're just yeah. going to have to warn everybody. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously, there's a twist at the end. There's all kinds of stuff that's going to be revealed. And if you want to see this movie, you better watch it now and turn this off. Uh, right. Because we're about to spoil a whole bunch of it for you. When I was describing it to my partner, I said, basically, the house is a vampire. Now, mm. like, not in your traditional vampire sense, but in that it sucks the life out of its inhabitants to restore and re-energize itself. And that is what the Allardyces, you know, that's that's what they're doing. You know, they're bringing people in to revitalize the house. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if that comes at the cost of their lives, which it does... You know, that's, <laughs> that's that's the way it is. Um, but it's just so cool. The whole movie is all about watching these people slowly kind of being drained and being influenced by the house. Uh, and it is a slow burn, but I like that it's a slow burn because it it doesn't smack you in the face, you know, like it's not like immediately they move in and then all of a sudden they're sick and emaciated. No, it's, it's slow. It takes its time really having an effect on these people to the point where Ben, it it, kind of drives him crazy by the last 20 minutes of the movie. He's catatonic Mm. and this it does the same thing to Anne Elizabeth like she's vibrant and though she is an older woman she's vibrant when she comes in but it just it drains her and it, it ages her and it makes her sick and unwell it has a really interesting effect on the wife too Marion um she starts acting differently she is obsessed with the house she's obsessed with cleaning it up And that was one of the things that the book did better than the movie was that Marion early on in the book realizes that something's not right. Like she's she's taking she's taking up these trays to Mrs. Allardyce every day, but she never sees Mrs. Allardyce. And for the first couple weeks, Mrs. Allardyce doesn't eat anything. Yeah. And and she knows that she doesn't tell anybody because she so desperately wants to be there. Mm. And and there's one point when Ben and David clean up the pool and they clean it up a little bit and they kind of get it running. But then there's one point when Marion goes out and she sees that the pool area is completely restored. Yeah. Like cracks in the cement are fixed. Everything is fixed. And this is suggested in the movie but in the book she understands this is impossible Mm. there's no way that this 
could happen, but she doesn't say anything, and in fact, she takes credit for it, and she takes credit for it in the movie, too, Yeah, yeah. because she so desperately wants to stay there, and she doesn't want to leave, and so... In the movie, yes, but even more so in the book, she's really complicit in all of this stuff that's going oh, on. I see. And she allows, you know, she sees what's happening to her husband, and she sees what's happening to Aunt Elizabeth, but she so desperately wants to be there. And of course it's the influence of the house, as well as her nature, but... Really, she's very much complicit in it. You know, that to me is so much more interesting and so much more complex than what I ended up seeing on screen. Because even more so as you described that, without knowing how materialistic she is and without being able to really get into her head, because the music, the movie doesn't really do this. The movie doesn't really show that kind of desperation that she just doesn't want to leave the house. To me, her coming up with excuses and her ignoring that Mrs. Allardyce isn't isn't eating any food and her coming out and looking at the pool, which all this happens, you know, and saying, oh, it's, she even says out loud, oh, it looks brand new, it's restored. And then, like you mm-hmm. said, later on, she takes credit for it. To me, in the movie, it just seems like the house is overtaking her and is kind of driving her to say those things. And, and yeah, I guess in the book it is in a way, but the fact that her own materialism is really what's causing her downfall is so much more interesting, and that's not coming through at all in the movie. If she really wants to stay at the house, and she does, she always, you know, what they suggest leaving or whatever, and she's like, no, no, we need to stick around. To me, the movie just suggests, well, it's because the house has grabbed a hold of her a little stronger than anybody else, and it's twisting her and making her that way. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, the other thing that the movie does, and I'd be interested to hear how this differs from the book, is it from the beginning? Uh, the the Ben is played by Oliver Reed, and Oliver Reed, you've seen him in a hundred thousand things as well. Was a big TV actor. He's one of those few people during the seventies and eighties who made a very successful crossover from TV to film. Um, he was in Tommy, you know, uh, the the Big Sleep. Uh, I remember from him from The Brood. He did more horror actually and stuff after this. He is so kind of stone faced. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the very beginning when he comes in, you're not really sure what to make of this guy because he has these sort of playful moments with his son, but mm-hmm. they almost even seem out of character from what surrounds it. Uh, he just seems almost distant and ang- and maybe even a little angry and maybe even a little stern when they come into the house. And so once again, when he has this terrifying scene in the in the pool, it's the first yeah. I think it's the first moment when we really know something is is desperately wrong here. He's playing with his son in this pool that's been restored and everybody's outside and he's tossing him up and, and down in the air. And um Betty Davis's character, the aunt uh, Elizabeth is out there and she thinks it's getting a little too rough, but he doesn't stop. And pretty soon it's very obvious that he is something's taken over him. He's like a maniac and he's pulling his son under the water and he's like holding him under there and he's thrashing him up and down like he's trying to drown him mm-hmm. and it is a really disturbing scene and uh it is even you know we were sitting there and uh it was bothering me and even my wife sat sat there and i thought she was going to leave the room i thought she was uh, she said i i I don't know if I can do this, you know, if the movie's going to be more like this. Yeah. <laughs> but even when that comes on board, I'm thinking 
maybe this guy wasn't right from the beginning because he didn't quite seem to be the most warm and caring person. I wondered if there's something in their family history. There has been some tension that they're trying to get over. I don't know if there's anything like that in the book, but to me, he didn't seem like a squeaky clean, wonderful dad from the start. Not that he did anything bad, but just he didn't seem very warm and affectionate. You know, maybe that's just his, he's got a bitchy resting face or something, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but, you know, that's that's how it came across in the movie. And so that, that bit of, of the movie, I, I don't know, how, how is it? How does that compare to the well, book? Well, if, if I remember correctly, and, and there's, you know, my memory is not as good as it used to be, but if I remember correctly, he was, in the book, just, you know, kind of your typical... 70s guy masculine uh didn't care to show his feelings a lot but he was a good dad and he wasn't bad to his family at all he wasn't abusive nothing like that and so that that moment was very jarring just as it is in the movie not only to us the viewers and it was a difficult scene to watch and i can only imagine that they had to be very careful in filming that scene yeah. because, uh, you know, he's holding the kid underwater and the kid is clearly in distress. And that's how it plays out in the book, too. It's like something overcomes him. Both in the book and in the movie, afterwards, he's haunted by it. Yeah. It's all I can think of. I, I can't get it out of my head. Ben, I know you. So I know you didn't mean to do that. The hell I did, Marion. I wanted to hurt him. Do you understand that? I wanted to hurt him. You're punishing yourself. Now, Davy's all right. He's all right. And there's kind of a lot of that. Like, the truth of the matter is that everybody in the house starts to pick up on the fact that something is wrong. And this house seems to be influencing them in a bad way. But Marion dodges that at every turn. Oh, no, no. Don't be silly. That's ridiculous. What do you mean? Meanwhile, and I love this about the movie. I I think they did it in the book, too, but being able to see it visually. You know, in the beginning, she's kind of this laid-back chick who wears, like, bell-bottoms and her husband's shirts. And then throughout the course of the movie, she starts dressing drastically different. Yeah. And, and, and there was one point where I was like, what the F is she wearing? Like, she's <laughs> like in these crazy, elaborate, I don't even know how to describe like Victorian it. Victorian era, Elizabethan kind of, uh, you know, she's got the brooch and she has like those, ne- what are those, you know, the choker on with the yeah, yeah. fancy thing. You're right. And it's funny. It is very subtle at first. Um, and then once you realize, oh my God, what is she wearing? You think, oh, wait a minute. Has this been happening throughout the film? And right. you pay a little more attention and, and it gets more, it gets more and more like she's just dressing classic. It's clear that the house is having an influence on her and i i really give the movie a lot of credit for that that is one of the few cases i think in this movie that is where something is so subtle that they don't even draw direct attention to it they just expect you to notice it and when you do it's creepy and you kind of feel proud of yourself i wish there had been Mm -hmm. more of that in this movie i felt like quite the opposite that everything had to be kind of 
it kind of hits you over the head four or five times. And there are just so many times in the movie where I'm sitting here going, okay, you know, I get it. Let's move on, <laughs> you know? Sure, I, sure. I get that you're conflicted. And so I get to see, you know, three or four dreams um, of Ben uh, about his mother's funeral and this creepy guy and the mother's funeral. And then later on, he thinks he sees the creepy guy driving a hearse up to the house. And then when somebody's sick, you know, he sees the creepy guy again. And, and all right, yeah, Ben's conflicted. And, and he has to say it like three or four times, which, you know, as an audience member is a little insulting. But as a as it gets brought up and he's so worried about it, more and more you're thinking, why isn't Marion more concerned why is she so dismissive of your husband and i think maybe in a novel when you get to peer into their heads a little bit better and you get mm-hmm. a little more of that subtlety it comes across in the movie i just seemed like totally unrealistic oh gosh it's funny that <laughs> you kind of breezed over that because i thought that was one of the scariest things about the movie the the fact that ben is haunted by this experience that he had when he was a kid and there there was this creepy it's not a limo, I don't know, but I I think of him as the limo driver. Yeah. Um and and he's just kind of this ghostly, tall, slender <laughs> figure with these big sunglasses on and his giant wide smile. Yeah, he was at Ben's mother's funeral when Ben was a young kid and like he like creepily smiles at him and stuff and then he continues to be haunted by that. It suggests in the movie that this is something that Ben has struggled with like his whole life. Like he used to have nightmares about it and maybe he got past it, but now he's having them again. And he even says that to Marion at one point, you know, those dreams I used to have, I'm having them again. And they really, really haunt him. Like, it's not like it's just a bad dream. Like, it's like he wakes up terrified shaking and immobile um and then that guy starts to show up like he's working in the like clearing out branches or something from the driveway and the guy pulls up and then aunt elizabeth i just love her i love betty davis so much i i'm gonna keep (laughs) saying that i can't stop saying that but uh She's so fun in the first part, but then she slowly deteriorates. Yeah, she just gets tired. Yeah, and you watch, and she looks great in the beginning. She's got blonde hair. She looks, I mean, she's elderly, but she looks young and vibrant. And then as time goes on, like, they just keep aging her and aging her till by the end, she just looks awful, like... How can she not be in the ground already? Yeah, and it takes us to this scene where she's screaming in bed and they all rush in and she's clearly in pain. And her eyes are kind of rolling back in her head and she's stretching out and she's rolling around and she's doing all this stuff. And I'm sorry, Craig, but that was some hammy acting. And I I think maybe it was the directing more than... I'm sure she was just doing what she was told to do and certainly it wasn't edited to downplay it but after a while i'm thinking gosh is anybody gonna run in there and actually console her is anyone gonna actually put an arm around her and say what can i do for you or bring her a glass of water but instead everyone just kind of walks into the room and stares at her for a while oh dude i loved it like i thought that betty davis was killing this she was and and betty davis you know she was somebody who You know, she was an amazing actress, but she was also a diva, and she 
hated, hated everybody <laughs> on the set. Yeah. Yeah, and she hated getting old and she hated being old. And to see her doing this where she just looked awful. Like she looked old, she looked decrepit, they she looked sweaty and awful. And I loved the way that they shot these scenes when she was unwell and especially like at some point she sits up in bed and you hear something break. Like something inside her breaks. Yeah. And then she's she's just moaning and her eyes are rolling back in her head. Oh. And they keep shooting it like they're hunched down on one side of the bed shooting her and then everybody else is just kind of behind her acting and reacting meanwhile she is just <laughs> in agony uh, and i thought it was fantastic dude i thought <laughs> i thought it was only fantastic in that she was able to keep this up for so long you know in between takes because I I thought, come on. I'm sorry, Craig. I, I got to completely disagree with you on this. <laughs> I thought that she did a great job of doing what she was probably told to do. And I think it was a very poor choice of the director and the editors to linger on this so long. It just looked campy. And and it was campy. It was super campy. Betty Davis that, is campy. <laughs> they're just standing there and staring at her. I mean, come on. If your mom was doing that or your aunt or whoever, I don't care. You're just a friend or some acquaintance that you happen to meet that afternoon. Wouldn't you run in and wouldn't you kind of do something? Or are we just supposed to believe that the house just has a spell over them too and so they don't care? You know, I mean, they just what sit there. What are you going to do? They just sit <laughs> like, <there. laughs> It's not like they could hook her up to a morphine they're drip or even, something. They're not even talking to her, you know? <laughs> they're not even trying to console her. It's just, oh, my God. No, I, I thought that scene was the worst scene in the movie, quite uh, honestly. <laughs> well, then we definitely disagree on that because oh. I loved it. I ate up every bit of it with a spoon. I <laughs> loved it. <laughs> Uh, and, and, you know, there are things that were passing by, like just bad things keep happening. Like at one point, um, the heater in David's room uh, leaks gas and he mm. almost dies. And then Aunt Elizabeth is confused because she went in to check on him, but she didn't remember turning on the heat and she didn't remember closing the door and locking the door. That was a nice and, moment. I liked that, like just to kind of cast doubt on her and make her think that she did it. it you know that that was a, that was a neat bit. You know, and she has a very a very tense conversation with uh, Marion about it, yeah. and I could just see myself in that kind of position where you have an older person in the house and you know that they're not well and. Sure. Why? I mean, what what other explanation could there be than she's just a little senile, and at that moment, she's the one who shut off, you know, who closed the doors and the windows and everything, and maybe even, you know, turned on the gas. Uh, it right. was it was great. It was a great scene, and kudos to them for not for being realistic about it. Actually, I thought the dialogue in this movie was very realistic. Mm-hmm. It just sounded like normal people talk, and it wasn't it wasn't overdone. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I said, sometimes mm -hmm. it was on the nose a bit about certain things, but the way that the family interacted with each other, it just seemed very real and genuine to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I agree. It was interesting, you know, in reading the trivia, and, and this really comes as no big surprise, but Betty Davis hated 
the guy that played Ben, uh, Oliver Reed. She hated him. She wouldn't even refer to him by name, and she. And I read that he was kind of a prankster, and he was, you know, doing. <laughs> he and his friends would get drunk and be just drunk. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what else to say. You know, like they, they, and they would just cause mischief or whatever. And she just absolutely hated him, and and she said afterwards that he was one of the most despicable people that she had ever encountered but in the movie their aunt and nephew and they have a very kind loving relationship and it reads that way Mm. uh like she trusts him after she gets in that disagreement with marion you know david's door is always open last night it was locked (laughs) i i i didn't lock it the the only thing i touched was the blanket that's, uh, well, that's what I remember doing. All right. You didn't lock it. It locked itself. Now, what about the windows? Well, they were open. They were closed when Ben walked into that room. Now, make sense, Elizabeth. Oh. How, how can I? How, how can I when you, when you, you keep shouting at me and accusing me of... You're right. That scene between Marion and Aunt Elizabeth, where Aunt Elizabeth is saying, I would never do anything to hurt David. I would never do that, but I just don't really remember. And Marion is not being directly accusatory, but right. it's clear that she is, you yeah. know, <laughs> like, well, mm-hmm. you crazy old bat, you did do it. It's a really good scene. But then there's a scene after that when Ben goes and sees Aunt Elizabeth in her room. And at this point, Betty Davis is just, you know, a wreck. She just looks awful. And she's laying in her bed. And uh, Ben comes and sees her and and talks to her. And, And they have a lovely conversation. And you would never know that those two people despised one another yeah. in real life. Like, they, they do a really good job of acting. I mean, I guess that's their job. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a it's a well-acted movie, and it's also a well-shot movie. There's a lot of good stuff happening here, I think. I noticed straight from the beginning that almost every scene inside the house is shot from a down-up perspective, where you can see the ceiling and you can, you know, it's 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 like everything is lower, which is very unusual. You know, usually, if anything, you never see the ceiling in a movie because that's usually where the lights and things are. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, it gives this feeling that from the very beginning when the moment they come in that this house is kind of an imposing presence over them. You know, you're always conscious of the house being over them, um, bigger than them, um, lurking in the background you know, takes up a little bit more of the screen than you're used to the surroundings, you know, taking up. And I thought that was quite well done. And there's even a scene where she, that scene where she sits up, where the the camera cantilevers a little bit, it starts a little higher. And then as she sits up and screams, it comes down back low. And it does give that impression that the house is like kind of like a blanket looming over her. It's very subtle, mm-hmm. but it's a very it's very good. You got a lot yeah. of really talented actors here. You've got realistic oh, sure. dialogue. You have very good shooting, very artistic. I would even say artsy, you know, kind of shooting. All of which 
served to me to make the movie seem very serious. And so when these little campy elements come in, when we get the bits where, you know, I've seen it in a dozen horror, you know, haunted house movies before, uh, when it takes so long, honestly, I felt like it just took a long time. And 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 you, you're always haunted by this idea, like, okay, well, if he if there's so many of these problems going on, why aren't they just leaving? Right. If she doesn't want to leave, why doesn't he bring it up sooner? Why isn't he trying to get people out of the house sooner? You know. And the longer that kind of goes on, the more you're just kind of like, okay, well, you know what. <laughs> you well, know what I well mean. there 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 comes that point eventually you know david is almost killed by the gas leak aunt elizabeth does die there's a, a a weird scene that i don't remember from the book and i don't even really know how to process when aunt elizabeth is super ill and then all of a sudden that scary limo driver shows up with a coffin and then she's just dead and they bury her yeah. but marion doesn't go to the funeral eventually ben is just like we're getting out of here and Marion, you know, they like they have several conversations about it, and things have been weird. Like there was a weird scene where they were in the pool together, and he was making advances on her. Oh, that was scary too. Yeah, and their husband and wife, you know, like this shouldn't be weird and uncomfortable, but from the very beginning, you can tell that it is, and she just keeps refusing his advances until the point where he like explains to her like. Seriously, it's been a long time. Like, <laughs> can we? And and it, she's like, well, okay. But then he starts, you know, kissing her and stuff. And, and she starts saying no and pushing him away. And it almost gets a little rapey. Like, oh, it gets very rapey. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is from the book, too. But, you know, he doesn't. Eventually, she he stops and she goes in the house and she tries to explain it away later. Like, Oh I just was in a weird mood or something or whatever. But, uh, Aunt Elizabeth dies. David almost dies. Ben knows something is going on. And eventually he is, uh, sitting in a chair, sleeping in a chair, watching over Ben. And he hears something outside and he looks outside and the house is, literally rejuvenating itself like it's yeah. shed, it's shedding its old uh shingles and there are new ones underneath boards are popping off the side to reveal new ones underneath and he grabs david and says we are getting out of here and he t he runs and he takes him to the car and they try to leave but a, a tree falls in the driveway and blocks their way and eventually Marion in her big gothic gown comes running out in the <laughs> rain and, and gets in the car and drives them back. And at this point, um, Ben is just completely catatonic. And then there's a scene where Ben is sitting in a chair right next to the pool and David is there. And Marion goes inside to get lunch, and David, trying to engage his father, says, watch me swim. I can swim now. And he goes into the pool and the pool attacks him basically yeah. like it gets all wavy and turbulent and crazy and he's drowning and Ben is catatonic like he's scared and he's shaking but there's nothing that he can do and Marion sees this from inside the house but the house keeps her from going outside it yeah. slams and locks all the doors now I, 
I I almost hate to say this. I almost hate to say this because I might be wrong. But I feel like I remember in the book that David died in the pool. Oh, really? I think he did. I think he did. I'm sorry, folks, if you're listening and you've read the book and you know better. I, you know, we're not professionals here. Nobody's paying us. So if I'm wrong, <laughs> I'm wrong. <laughs> we make no claim to accuracy. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think he died in the pool. But he doesn't here. She breaks a window and she saves him at the last minute. And that's when she decides, okay, we're going to leave. And I love this scene where they're like packing stuff into the car because she's back to herself again. Mm-hmm. Like she's her hair is styled the way that it was in the beginning. She's wearing jeans and and uh, you know just like a long sleeve white shirt. She looks like herself. Meanwhile, throughout all the movie, her hair has been graying. Things have been weird. She's been dressing weird and acting crazy as crap. Um, but it seems like everything's okay. And then they get in the car, and they're going to leave. And she's like, I forgot to tell Mrs. Allardyce that we're leaving. Marion. Please. I, I don't want you to go back into that house. Ben, don't be silly. We can't just drive off and leave that poor old lady sitting up there without even telling her that we're driving off. And she goes in, and even the first time I saw this movie, having not read the book, I'm like, oh, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) She's going back in the house. This can't be good. This is the part, actually, that, as a kid, uh, shocked me about this movie. Uh, This is the the one thing from the movie that I remembered, and like I said, I've been kind of searching, not, not actively, but just sort of always comes to my mind i wonder what that movie was when i saw you know when i saw that had that great twist ending which Uh to me as a kid was a twist as an adult i could see it coming a mile away you know yeah i mean you know you know from the beginning there is no mrs allardyce you know the minute that and in fact it's it's telegraphed pretty strongly not just in the fact that she's not eating any of her stuff for a while but there's one scene um in the middle uh probably about in the middle of the movie when marion is back up in mrs allardyce's outer study area where she she leaves the trays and she's upset and distraught about something. So she sits down and she starts eating the food that she left out for her. Yep. Yep. So, you know, I mean, come on. It, it can't be more clear than that. that there is no Mrs. Allardyce. And so uh, when he goes into the house, and this is a really long scene, and I guess it's building tension. I just thought it was just overly long. <laughs> he goes in, he goes up the stairs, he goes up to the to the top area. Um, he knocks on the, the, the door to Mrs. Allardyce's room, and the door is actually unlocked now. And he walks inside, and he sees from the back an older woman sitting in this rocker facing out the window. Uh, very much, uh, you know, Norman Bates style. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's talking to her, and at first, you know, we don't see her, but we see this hand. And I think what you're kind of thinking is maybe this is going to be a dead body. But then the hand um, in the foreground, again, in out of focus, uh, clenches a little bit uh, against the side of the thing. Okay, she's not dead. Again, very well shot, this is. Uh, but then she turns around. I've been waiting for you, Ben. It is his wife, but she looks considerably different. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Freaky as hell, and her face fills the entire screen. I jumped. <laughs> yeah. And so does he, uh, or 
gets pushed out or something. Anyway, what we see is from the outside from here on is him fly out the window uh, and, uh, and onto the car below where his son is. And so his son sees his dad. And this is the gross part you were talking about um, where he smashes into the, the windshield. He's clearly dead. And his yeah. son sees his dad's bloody face right there in the windshield and runs out. Oh, and yeah, and poor little David just gets splattered, splattered in it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty bad. I mean, you almost think, feel like you're watching a Sam Raimi movie there for a second. Yeah. <laughs> and he runs outside, and he's upset, and he's screaming, and the house is starting to kind of fall apart. I think it was meant to be methodical. You know, like okay. the, ho- the house is killing David. It... it, it collapses one of its chimneys on um, well it's got like four chimneys to spare so it right i guess it could sacrifice one it falls on david and david dies yeah and uh, and so that's that then we get kind of an epilogue where we overhear although we never see uh the sound of we're back to the brother and the and the sister uh, Mm -hmm. who rented the house in the first place the Howardizes. oh it's beautiful just glorious like it used to be. And our mother. She's back. Our darling. And we see another picture being added to the photos on the wall. And then upstairs in that study area, again, that's something I saw coming a mile away. Yeah. yeah. We had all these you know, photographs of people just filling a table up there through the years. And sure enough, there are two more photographs, or three more three. photographs yeah. added to it. It's the aunt and the, and the David, and David and Ben. And the husband. So. And yeah, and so they accomplished their goal. And, and, you know that that's the same as in the book too like it it ends on a very bleak note like they they won you know just mm-hmm. as presumably they have been doing for who, god knows how long they bring in these people to feed the house and um i so, guess to restore their mother or whatever that's and, what i was going to ask you like um the mother, like, if I'm just trying to, like, parse all this out, is the mother, does she actually exist? Or is the mother, like, just a manifestation of the house and she never existed? Or Well, it's the same in the movie as in the book. You never see her. Mm-hmm. I feel like the book was, it had the opportunity to be a little bit more subtle. Like, in the book, at first, Marion is really super concerned that the woman isn't eating even though she doesn't express her concern because she doesn't want to leave. Um, but she's concerned about it. But then eventually she gets really happy because she does start eating. But then there's also a later in the book, Marion subconsciously is eating the food. She thinks that Mrs. Allardyce is eating it, but um. you figure out that Mrs. Allardyce isn't eating it. She's just eating it and she's tricked or has convinced herself that Mrs. Allardyce is eating it. So you never actually see Mrs. Allardyce. Uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know if, you know, the mom is a spirit or, you know, who knows, but this is how they keep her alive. Um, and that's why I think that this is kind of, it is. You're right. I mean, it's kind of a typical haunted house story, but I thought that it was unique in a lot of ways. I liked the idea that the house was 
feeding on the energy of these people and the lives of these people. And anytime something bad would happen to them, the house would get a little bit better. And then by the end, when everybody's dead, the house just looks freaking gorgeous. Like it's completely mm-hmm. restored. They take a picture and hang it up with all the uh, other pictures. I can't let this podcast end without saying that the house in this movie is the same house that they used as the mortuary from Phantasm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's such a cool house. And they filmed, supposedly, everything on location. Now, on location can mean a lot of things. I don't know if they actually filmed in this house or if it, you know, this was just the exterior and they filmed in some other house. I don't know, but um, the director claims that no sets were built uh, for the house; that everything was uh, location, and it looks good. I gotta say, I liked this movie a lot, and I I had seen it before, and I remembered liking it. And then you brought it up, and I had recently read the book, so I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then I sat down to watch it again, I'm like, oh, it's two hours. Um, but I was just totally into it, like, start to finish. I wouldn't say that it's one of my favorite movies, but I would recommend this movie to people for a lot of reasons. One, because it is scary, but... Two, I feel like I could recommend it to a wider audience because mm. it could be something that you could see on TV at 8 o'clock at night. It's true. A- aside from that one shot at the end of the movie when Ben falls into the car and there's a lot of blood, and there is, that one shot or those couple of shots are, are gory. Um, but that's it. Other than that, it's a lot more suspense and and intrigue and, oh man, I was down for it. Yeah, what can I say? It obviously had a strong effect on me as a child, uh, for sure, um, especially the ending. And I can see why. It's still, you know, even though I knew it was coming, the ending still bothered me. I was really happy to find the movie again, to be quite honest. It's kind of like one of those mysteries solved. Um, but I, I have to say, for me, again, I'm going to go back to what I said at the beginning. It was just, it was just a little too slow, and a little too many tropes in there, and a little too on the nose at times. That I was kind of, after a while, just waiting for it to be over. I mean, if that sounds, sounds terrible. And I don't know, I'm not always like that with movies. Maybe it was just the mood I was in as well. I like a slow burn too. I like movies that take their time. And we've talked about it before. Just older movies tended to expect more of their audiences than they do yeah. now. Yeah. And and I fully recognize that, and I'm still kind of stuck back in that era for a, to a certain extent. But I just felt like this movie crossed too many lines for me in that way. It just expected a little too much of my attention when I felt like I already kind of figured out and had figured out what was going on. I didn't really see a lot of new stuff going on except kind of what I expected to go on as the movie went on. And so, you know, by the time it ended, well, it was it was a nice movie. Like I said, it was well acted. It, it, it had a lot of really great things going for it. But I don't know, it kind of sits on the shelf with a lot of other better movies, I think. That's <laughs> just my opinion. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I it, I really liked it. 
yeah, yeah, read the book and get back to me. (laughs) Okay. No, it's not going to be for everybody, and it is a slow burn, and I think that some people could probably get bored with it. And maybe it was the mood that I was in, but... Well, my my wife loved it, and she she had a hard time sleeping after it. So, you know, it it clearly had a different effect on her than it did on me. (laughs) Well, thank you again for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. You can find a lot of our back episodes at our website, too guys.red40net.com we also have a Facebook page you can like us on there and uh, join a discussion about this film as well as any other films that you'd like us to see in the future we do take requests quite often and we'd love to hear yours and it's also nice just to, to know that people are out there listening <laughs> every once in a while until next time I'm Todd and I'm Craig with two guys and a chainsaw